0: Said you return that I might live in my
1: father. You see, Jesus is still able to cast out every evil thing that holds, that masters, that blasts and ruins our lives. That's the good news. You know, that, I think more than anything else, we should take away from the first couple of verses here in the book of Genesis. He takes the chaos and confusion of our lives and through his processes, rearranges them into expressions of beauty and meaning and purpose and dedication.
0: We're living in some pretty crazy times. Fear, uncertainty, and discord surround us. It can seem like peace on any level is out of reach, but that's not the truth even if it may feel that way. In today's message, Pastor Mike shares that God can harness chaos and confusion and replace it with peace and order. As you unpack this passage in Genesis, you'll see how God created order in the world when there was only chaos and darkness. He did this in the beginning, and He can do this in your life now as well. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 1 as he continues his message, In the Beginning, God.
1: Think about it. That word chaos, for example, is an emblem of the unrenewed soul without order existing in a state of spiritual ruin. And that's the way that an unbeliever, someone who's unregenerated, someone who hasn't made that decision for Christ, that's their spiritual state. It's one of ruin. For example, in the book of Psalms, in chapter 1 and verse 4, and if you know anything about that first psalm, The first couple of verses, well, the whole psalm actually is a picture in contrast. It contrasts the believer and the unbeliever and the fruit that comes forth from their lives. And in verse 4, the ungodly or the unbeliever, the first three verses of that psalm, talks about the fruitfulness of the believer, the person who knows God and is walking with God and their lives are full and rich and blessed and fruitful. But then in contrast, he goes on, the psalmist, to address the unbeliever. And he says the ungodly are not so. Their lives aren't fruitful, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. There's no consistency within their lives, you see. There's no fruitfulness, right? And there are so many other verses of Scripture throughout the Bible that convey the same idea of the unregenerated soul's of man. Therefore, as it relates to the unbeliever, there is needed a special process of rearrangement to evolve symmetry and beauty from its confusion. Or as I mentioned before, God has the capacity to make something out of nothing. You know, I, I wonder if it's an analogy. Our world, our globe, in its pre-existence format, Does it have another meaning than just simply that? Was God trying to get a message over to us about the unregenerated soul of man? You see the parallels between the two. So there is a need, a special process of rearrangement to evolve symmetry and beauty from its confusion. And again, as I mentioned, that's the business that God is in. The capacity that only he has to make something out of nothing. And it's so beautifully illustrated by Christ himself during his public ministry. Think about the people who engaged Christ, his followers. Think about who they were before and what they had become after meeting with the Christ. You think about the Gospels, for example, and the characters in the New Testament, I think, provide for us a complete picture of humanity, good and bad, good and bad. Good qualities, bad qualities. For example, Mary Magdalene. i got to tell you something. She's an interesting character. study. Do you know that there's more written about Mary Magdalene in the Gospels than any of the apostles? I don't know if you knew that or not. Just a little bit of Bible trivia. But Mary Magdalene, when we're first introduced to her, like for example, or first the suggestion of her, in Luke's Gospel in chapter 8 and verse 2, we are told that this was a woman who was mastered and controlled by seven demons. Can you imagine that? Demon possession was at least more common than it is today. Now, in the New Testament, demon possession sometimes resulted in physical disability and material suffering. And what's the picture there? Chaos, disorder, confusion. Remember what I'm trying to accomplish here, thinking about our world as it existed in its pre-existent form. Was God trying to say something to us, trying to get our attention? And so Mary Magdalene's life, before her coming to know Christ as her own Lord and Savior, her life was just chaotic, right? We are also told in the Gospels that someone other than Mary Magdalene, who was also possessed, certain traits, I don't know if you want to call them traits, but characteristics that marked their lives, I guess, the possessed would cut themselves. And I find that interesting that, you know, the demons, when they possessed the person that they possessed, sought to destroy that person or kill that person, which really doesn't make sense because then it doesn't have a host to continue to remain in. But that's their occupation, I guess. So we are told that the possessed would often and frequently, they would cut themselves. Another young fellow who is possessed in the Gospels would throw himself into the fire. Remember, his parents made their appeal to Jesus to help and and in his contact with the Lord, he was completely healed. And so Mary Magdalene, that's the first picture that I want to draw to your attention. These characters that here in the New Testament provide complete pictures of humanity for us. So Mary Magdalene's life was one of chaos, would you agree? And disorder and confusion. Okay, our next character study, Simon Peter. And if you think about Simon Peter, all of the elements of great personality were found in Peter, and yet he was a weak man. If you know anything about Simon Peter, he was someone that often, frequently, there was this swing of emotions, these highs, these lows. One minute, he would be professing his faith in Christ and his love for him, and though all of these other lightweights forsake you, Lord, I will never forsake you. And then, just a couple of chapters after that, we read that as he was warming himself by the enemy's fire, he denied the Lord three times. So these mood swings, great emotional swings of inconsistency. His life was one of chaos. He lacked the one thing that could weld the elemental things into consistency and strength. So his life was also one of chaos and inconsistency. The next character study that I would like to draw to your attention was Saul of Tarsus, before his name was changed to Paul. And think about it. He was the prime mover in the campaign to squash Christianity early on. He was on the road to Damascus, and we are told there in the book of Acts, in chapter 9, that he was breathing threatenings and slaughter. That's what he was all about. He was seeking to bring back those who claimed to be Christians back to Jerusalem to stand before the Sanhedrin. He would torture them, cause them to blaspheme their God. That's who he was. He was a man with a vendetta. He was out to silence the voice that had been personally haunting him. You see, he had seen Stephen die, who was the first martyr of the Christian church. He heard Stephen declare that in dying, he saw Jesus. Paul well, Saul, his name isn't Paul yet, he had heard him pray for the men who killed him, by the way, very much like his Savior, when Jesus hung on the cross. Remember, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And uh, Stephen was very much like his Lord, like Jesus. And these things were piercing Saul. And they also demanded, on his part, a reconsideration of his position concerning Christ. And so when finally apprehended on that road to Damascus, Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Acts chapter 9 and verse 5. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks, or rather, a more accurate translation, to go against your own convictions. He was going not only against his own convictions, he was going against the truth not only going against the truth, but he was also going against God. He was a man who was filled with rage. He was a man who was confused. He was a man in chaos. So we have all of these interesting pictures of these folks here in the New Testament, which I believe actually provide for us a complete picture of humanity. And yet, each were met by the Christ, and each were led and dealt with, and at last, as a result of responding to his mastery, they all were brought into the closest association with him. Here, in the case of all of these three people, Mary Magdalene, Peter, and Saul of Tarsus, here were indeed consecrated and dedicated lives. Wouldn't you agree? You see what God did? Only God can do that. I mean, these were radical, radical examples of that work that only God can do. You see, Jesus is still able to cast out every evil thing that holds, that masters, that blasts, and ruins our lives. That's the good news. You know, that I think more than anything else we should take away from the first couple of verses here in the book of Genesis. He takes the chaos and confusion of our lives and through his processes rearranges them into expressions of beauty and meaning and purpose and dedication. Let's go back to Peter for a moment. There was this guy up and down, inconsistency within his life. And in John's Gospel in chapter 1 and verse 42, Jesus said to Peter, you shall be called Cephas. What was Cephas? What's that word Cephas? Rock. Here was a guy, who was like shifting sand. He was like water that was always wavering. And God got a hold of him, Jesus got a hold of him, and turned him into the rock, right? A consistency, that was the idea there. In Ephesians chapter 2, and verses 1 through 5, and boy, you're probably sick of me using this as a cross reference, but it's so rich, it's so full. It's also a picture in contrast of what we were before Christ in our B.C. days, And now what we've become in Christ. And I want you to think about the disorder, the chaos, the confusion of our lives in our BC days. You know, i got to tell you something. I got a phone call this week from a fellow who's a little bit younger than myself. We kind of hung around with him when we were in high school together. I grew up in Hoboken, New Jersey. And Hoboken, New Jersey is a mile long. It's known as the Miracle Mile. And basically everybody knows, back then at least, I don't know if it's like that now, but back then, everyone knew one another because we all attended the same high school together. We all grew up together. We all played on the same. There was only like one team. When we were kids, we used to play on the PAL, the Police Athletic League footballs. There was only like one team. If you played Little League Baseball, there was only one league. And you'd come up the ranks. You know, there were different age groups and stuff. But everyone knew one another. So anyway, I got a phone call about, a, not a, it wasn't a phone call. Actually, it was a text message. And one of these guys that I used to go to high school with said, hey, we're getting together down at this restaurant in Hoboken. And, you know, some of the guys, and then he mentioned some of the guys that I hadn't seen for a while that I really did want to see. And uh, so I went on Friday. And there were 30 of us gathered together around the table. These were guys I played football with in high school and grew up with and hung out with and done things that I'm not proud of with as well. But anyway, we were rehearsing all of the crazy things that we used to do. And one of the guys said from across the table, you know, would you believe that Mike Finizio, of all of the guys that we knew growing up, would be a pastor of a church in New York City? The most unlikely candidate, and everyone agreed to that. But what was interesting, after we all got together, and all of us finally, all 30 of us, got our food, and it was a great restaurant, a great Italian restaurant, by the way, And then I just went for it. I said, hey, would you guys mind if I prayed for you right now? And it was amazing. Before I could even say anything, all of the guys, all 30 of them, there was at least 30 guys, they all stood to their feet, and they all grabbed each other's hand. It was amazing. And I just supposed that, you know, some people would say, get out of here, Finizio. you know, we're not going to pray, you know, that kind of a thing. And without a hesitation, all 30 of them stood to their feet, and they grabbed each other. and And all of a sudden, I noticed that someone grabbed my hand on both sides, too. I said, wow, this is unbelievable. And so I had an opportunity to pray with them. It was, it was such a great experience. I had an opportunity to give out all my cards and let them know about our radio broadcast You know that airs in the metropolitan area Monday through Friday and all of that as well. And some am say, yeah, I'm gonna, we'll see if they show up. But anyway, I had an opportunity. But here's the point. As we're sitting around that table and we're catching up with one another, some of these guys I hadn't seen in at least 40-something years, literally 40-something years, And they're telling me things that I had done, that I had totally forgotten about, things that certainly I wasn't proud of. And something like, uh, you know, they're laughing and joking. Hey, Finizio, remember we did this, that, and the other thing, how crazy we were and how, you know, stoned we were and how drunk we were and all the crazy things we, you know, and, and things that I weren't proud of. They're laughing about it. I didn't have a smile. I was kind of embarrassed about them. But I think about what God has done in my life. The most unlikely of candidates to be standing before you and having the privilege and the honor of being able to share God's word with you. It's a testimony to, you know, the capacities that God has. Anyway, a long introduction to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And you he has made alive, which suggests that one time you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, right? You had no inclination for the things of God. And that's why Paul in another place tells us that The natural man cannot discern the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them. You're not interested. There was a time in my life where I wasn't interested in spiritual things. The last place that you would see me on a Sunday morning, because I'd be hungover more than likely, is in church on a Sunday morning. Or I'd be just about right now getting up, getting ready, and having a cup of coffee maybe, and and getting ready to watch the Giants play, whoever they're playing today or whatever. And that was pretty much my, my Sunday morning. But anyway, and you he has made alive. You were dead, spiritually speaking, who were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Just another way to describe the devil. He is the one who's beating the drum that the majority of people are marching to, folks. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. And by the way, all those guys were reminding me about that. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That's the way that we lived our lives. We just gave ourselves over to those lustful desires of ours. And we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, oh, I'm so thankful for that one word, but, you know, but God stepped in, right? And he took that chaotic life that was filled with confusion and disorder, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, you know, he didn't say, like, clean up your act and then I'll start working along with you. I'll start doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. No, right? The Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he's made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So in that state, all of us at one time were without life, were without light, in the same sense as our world at one time in its preexistent form was shrouded in darkness, in the same way that that mass of matter was soon to become earth, So here is the unregenerated man and woman, apart from God, chaos, without order, without life, without light, because Jesus is the true light. And then let's go back to our text now. Just a few things that I want to share with you. And then also in verse 2 we are told, "...and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters." What's the picture that's being conjured up here for us? And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the wars. How many times have you read that, but maybe never thought of it in this way before? It's sort of like the Spirit is waiting, as it relates to you and me, seeking entrance. He's ready to introduce that light. He's ready to introduce that order. He's ready to introduce that life to all of us. You might feel as if there is no hope of change. You might, even right now, be wrestling with something that up until this point you've been unable to get the victory over. Things that you may have even made concessions to your flesh or even to the enemy. And say, well, listen, you know what? You throw your hands up in frustration and God's just going to have to take me exactly the way that I am. I've been trying too long. And if 90% of my life isn't going to get the job done, well, that's just the way it is. And we make concessions with our flesh or with the enemy rather than realizing, hey, listen, God hasn't completed the work that he's begun in each and every one of us. So you might feel as if there's no hope of change, of things getting better for you. Your experience might be more of failure than of victory. But remember this, our fallen state was foreseen and provided for from the beginning. And change and consecration isn't dependent upon anything in us, but is a part of God's original plan. You know what that's called? It's called grace. It's called grace. Now, there is our part in this. You've got to make yourself available to do that work. And guess what? You're doing a good job of it. That's all that God asks. Just position yourself. Keep yourself in that place where God can do that work, where he can reason with you through the scriptures, where he can speak to you and encourage you and put those desires within your heart. How does it happen? One of the most profoundest ways that it happens is just simply through the study of the Word of God. You see, our Lord's call to failing humanity is in closest agreement with what was ordained in the beginning. In Revelation, the last book of the Bible, the last chapter of the Bible, in the book of Revelation in chapter 22 and verse 17, and the Spirit and the Bride say, Come and let him that heareth say, Come and let him that is athirst come and whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. Listen, gang, I believe the moving of the spirit going back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2 I believe the moving of the spirit upon the waters represents the brooding, the cherishing, the vitalizing presence of God in his creatures he's over them he's around them he is the source and protection of our lives do you believe that it's true the spirit in the Hebrew the ruach Elohim the breath of God bringing life energy freedom to the soul of the one who will allow him that entry would you do that?
0: Father's house there's a place for me in my father's house Where I long to be oh, my heart. Here at in my father's house we're going through the book of Genesis where the story of the beginning is told. God made light and said that it's good. God made plants and trees and said that it's good. God made animals on land and in the sea, and he said that it's good. And then God made man, and he said that it is very good. Creation didn't stop at the end of the sixth day. Creating is an inherent part of who God is and what he does. Look around you. What do you see? New plants, new trees, new animals, each one unique in how it grows. And God is still saying it is good. God is in the business of creating new people out of old ones, undoing the inherent brokenness. When you were born again, a new creation, God looked at you and said that you are very good. He has made you new and restored you to the place you were designed to fill. You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Venizio. This is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. We'd love to see you here. You can find all the information you need, including service times, on our website, HarvestNYC.org. That's HarvestNYC.org. If you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know that, too. Please send us a quick note at HarvestNYC at Verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We hope you'll come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than In My Father's House.